Hey, what's up? Castle Fellowship, Pastor Rod here. So glad y'all joined us um, as we enter into this last teaching portion of our series, The God of Justice. I want to encourage you to interact with us, share this. This is going to be incredible. Um, I also want to encourage you to share this with a friend. Um, we're going to have an incredible, incredible hangout afterwards. You do not want to miss this. Um, it's going to blow your mind. Okay, so seriously, uh, stay tuned for the hangout that's coming. I um, want to encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word, whether that is something that is written down or something that's digital. Uh, go ahead and grab that copy. We're going to be jumping into God's Word today. You can find me in the book of Ruth, uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're continuing this, this, this talk on justice, and we're talking about the God of justice. And I've been saying uh, the word justice is this Hebrew word called mishpat. It's found some 425 times in Scripture. And we've been talking about it as to try to understand such of a broad word in Scripture, breaking it down into three parts. So justice means God's punishment for wrongdoing, his protection uh, in terms of treating people with dignity and value, and also God's care, showing mercy and grace to all of humanity. We've been having this reoccurring mantra saying this, as the people of justice who serve a God of justice, we are called to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. And so this week we're talking about, and this is interesting, justice for the outsider. Justice for the outsider. When I, when, when I use this word outsider, I'm talking about probably four groups of people that we see in scripture. I'm talking about the alien, the sojourner, the foreigner, or the stranger. Scripture uses those terms to talk about foreigners inside of God's word. So let's pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 through 18, and then we'll jump in. What time is it? Word time. Good. Let's get it. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in your home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out aloud and said to her, Will we go back with you to your people? But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her saying, look, Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your gods, my gods. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the, do may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you in me. When Naomi realized that Ruth had determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I want to talk to you about three things this morning, just under the title, Justice for the Outsider. Point one, more than politics. Point two, a barren, widowed 
foreigner. And point three, pray, give, go, and welcome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this call of justice that you have been calling us to over the past five weeks or so. We've been hearing messages challenging us to be people of justice. Lord, I pray that you would drill down this idea so deep into our hearts that it changes the trajectory of our lives and ministries. Father, I pray that you would use me to that end this morning, that you would stand in me and think through my mind and speak through my mouth those things you want your people to know, say, and do. And we trust you for that and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine being a young girl born to, to a family of immigrants who are working as migrant workers in a field picking tomatoes. That every day for some 15 hours a day, you're gonna go out with your family under the extreme heat and pick tomatoes. If you need to go to the bathroom while you're out there, you're gonna to have to hold it because there's only one bathroom break for that entire 15 hours. What if, as a female working in the field, it was common for you to experience some type of sexual harassment, if not sexual abuse? What if these conditions were horrific? They were, 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 were not humane? What if there was no idea or concept in your mind of something called health care or going to see a physician? And what if this was not just one bad field manager torturing a certain specific group of people, but what if this was in fact a system that abused uh, people that immigrated from other countries and used them to do forced labor for the outcome of profit from these tomatoes being picked? What if sometimes people were beaten? What if sometimes people were forced to work without pay? What if sometimes they were held at gunpoint before or to ensure the, the, the fact that they would work? Now you may say, Rodney, well, where is this happening? Is this in some other part of the country? Is this in some other part of the world? Beloved, this is two and a half hours from where you and I live. The Immokalee workers who work in a field right near Fort Myers, some two and a half hours away, have been experiencing this kind of injustice for a long time. We are thankful for the work of the Coalition of the Immokalee Workers who have gone in with, with, with lawyers and politicians and government officials and have been fighting for the cause of this marginalized group. Thankful for organizations like freeslave.net that are speaking up for those that cannot speak up for themselves. But my question on the table for us, for us to talk about, is where's the church? And, and, and the church, I don't want to clear this up, it is not, it is not where is the pastor. Ephesians 4 would say that, that, that the role of the pastor is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. 
The church are the called out ones. The church is the body. The church is the bride of Christ. The church are those that have been washed by his blood. And in, so, in by being washed by his blood, we should be people that are sent out in, to love the marginalized, to love the outsider, to love the immigrant. Right now, there are some 60 million people that are displaced in other countries because of war or conflict or persecution. There are 16 million undocumented immigrants living in our country today. 14% of American population is foreign born. This, this issue of immigration or dealing with the foreigner is a huge issue in our country, specifically as we etch closer and closer to November. Are we going to pursue open borders or closed borders? Or, or how are we going to handle deportation? All of these issues are huge in our country. And here's what I want to lobby for you and I to understand. It is more than politics for the believer. I've said this before, but it bears saying it again. It is not so simple for us to just pick sides on the left or the right. The believer has to think critically and the believer has to think biblically. So how do we hold businesses accountable who hire uh, undocumented workers and then pay them less wages and, and, and hold the threat of deportation over their head so there is never a, a settling for this person or arrest for this person? He lives or she lives with the constant threat of deportation. So when we talk about this issue, I want us to be careful that we don't just get our talking points from Fox News or CNN or some other news network, but that we get our talking points from Scripture and that we remember that we're not just talking politics here. We're talking about people that are made in the image of God. So it is more than a talking point. It's more than a talking point. Rodney, why? Why, why do we have to have this discussion about immigration. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 27, and I think that's going to help us. It says this, and he made from one man, one man, one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Watch this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. What is this saying? God knows when you would live, what period you would live, and where you would live. Verse 27, that they should seek God. Here's the big picture, don't miss it. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Do you see that? What if in the sovereignty of God, what you call an inconvenience is an opportunity to reach people where they are with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love and to serve and to sacrifice and to minister to and to provide as, 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 as directed and needed. For us to look for opportunities to be salt and light, to the marginalized, to the least of these. Which brings us to our text, point two, point two, a barren, widowed foreigner. Point two, a barren, widow, 
foreigner. There are six people in our text. There's Naomi and Elimelech that have been married. They have two sons, Malan and Kilian, or Kilian, and they married two Moabite women, Orpah and, or, and, and Ruth. Elimelech dies. Uh, ten years go by after his death. Naomi is there with her daughters and her son, and then eventually the sons die. And now she's left there with her two daughters-in-law. And because of this, this, this great loss, she encourages her daughters-in-law, whom she loves, go back to your family, and don't miss this in the text, go back to your gods. In other words, when we were together and we were hanging out, it wasn't just us hanging out and kicking it. You were, were, were following the God of Israel. You were following the God that our family believed in. Now go back to your family and go back to your gods. Here's why Naomi says, I have nothing or I am empty. She's devastated. Many of us know the story of Job. Job is a character in the Bible who, in the first chapter of the book of Job, he loses everything. He loses his, his, his children. They all perish. He loses his, his, his animals, his provision, his land. Everything is dis destroyed in Job's life. And then eventually, even his own wife comes to him and says, you might as well curse God and die. Job loses everything. And, and somewhat similarly, Naomi loses everything just like that. Her husband is gone, her sons are gone, and she loses her provision, she loses her resources. Carolyn James, in her commentary on Ruth, points out a significant difference that I want us to look at. Naomi and Job share a fundamental equality and they both lost everything. Their lives are ruined, their souls are drowning in grief. But the biggest distinction between them is the most obvious one. Naomi is a woman and Job is not. In the ancient patriarchal culture, his maleness counted for a lot. Doors might open for him, doors that are bolted shut to Naomi. Poverty is not inevitable for Job. He can work, he can rebuild, he may endure the unjust accusation of trusted friends, but he will not face degradation, discrimination, or physical abuse because he is male. He still retains a level of stature in the community. Even though his character is under the microscope, if anyone raises a hand against Job, uh, against him, Job has the right and can take legal action. The offender will be prosecuted, but the roof has caved in on Naomi. She faces a whole new layer of adversity because she is a woman in a culture that defers to men. One of the things I want to point out real early is this fact that Naomi and Ruth are widows. They're widows. And Naomi has lost her husband and her son. And she says, I don't have anything left. When she finally returns back, they say, is this Naomi? She says, no, call me Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Have you been there where you, your feeling towards the Lord is, I don't know if I can trust you, I don't know if I can rock with you because you have dealt bitterly with me? That's Naomi. She says, I, I, I went out full, but I came back empty. I have nothing. And on top of that, she has this daughter-in-law that won't let her go. 
Ruth chapter 1 verse 16 says this, that Ruth says to her, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. From where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And, and you look at this text and you're, and you're wondering, why wouldn't Ruth just go back home to her family? This is more than just some natural experience. This is something that is spiritual. Naomi here is, has Ruth attached to her at the hip. And it's not just because she's a really good mentor or maybe she's a good cook. Something else is happening. Ruth has been rocked by the God of Naomi. And because of that, she can't go back. Something happens. When we are rocked by the God of heaven, we can't just go back to live life the way that we used to live. We are forever changed. And this is what has happened for Ruth. But Ruth has something that she's suffering from that Naomi is not suffering from because Naomi is going back to her home and Ruth is going with her. Naomi is going home. Ruth She's a foreigner. Let's look at Ruth. She has no husband, which at that time means she has no security in the culture. She has no defender in the culture. Her husband is gone. She has no children or she has no son. She is barren for whatever reasons. She is without a child. So not only does she not have a husband that would have given her security from her past, she doesn't have any children that give her hope and security for her future. She is a foreigner. She has no rights. She has no privileges. She has no political power. She has no biological family to turn to in a time of crisis. She has no life insurance that she got when her husband died. She has no mean of income and she has no recourse against injustice because she's an outsider. She doesn't know the culture. And yet she decides to go because God did something in her heart. Studying this week about foreigners and, 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 and particularly those that would immigrate from other countries, a lot of times they are associating their pilgrim their pilgrimage to this new country with this, this spiritual experience of how God would protect them as they would go to this new country. I can imagine Ruth kind of fumbling her way into this new land with her, with her mother-in-law facing this new reality. This is, this is, this is the, the, the biography of the outsider. And, and maybe for us, you're, you're sitting there, you're like, Rod, what are you getting at? This is hard to comprehend. What do you mean outsider? Well, question, have you ever traveled to another country where you didn't know many people? That feeling of inadequacy, the feeling of being limited by language, the feeling of the insecurity of not knowing where to go or not knowing how you're going to get there, the feeling of lack of trust in dealing with people that are there to help you? You remember that. Or maybe it was just your freshman year in high school or in college. And there's a new environment. You don't know many people. You got to navigate new terrains. You got to learn how this culture works. You got to learn what to say and what not to say. You got to learn where to sit at lunchtime and where not to sit at lunchtime. You got you to navigate all the unwritten rules of that culture. This is the life for Ruth. Or maybe it's that new job. 
where you got to figure out the nuances of, of this new career move that you have. And, 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 and it's cool because it's new, but it's also scary because it's new. Or maybe it's a new neighborhood. You're trying to figure out, so where do I go and, and who can I trust in this neighborhood? You see, immigrants have a whole nother level of things being complicated because they're the outsider. And this is where Ruth is. And so I just want to ask these three questions because I want us to work in and ponder this together. Please look at these three questions. Questions number one, how can God use the present pain of an outsider to point them to the promise of a true redeemer? Number two, how can they receive what they need to find in terms of shalom in a new land? How do they, how do they find this kind of peace and shalom in a new land? And then thirdly, how can they be protected from people that because they're a foreigner may seek to take advantage of them? These are good questions as we wrestle through this. And the good news is, is we don't have to make up the answer because God gives us the answer in his word. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19. It says this, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows and loves, look at that, the alien giving him food and clothing. And you and you, GF, are to love those who are aliens, for you yourself were aliens in Egypt. Now, some of y'all are saying right now, I was, not, I was not an alien in Egypt, and I get that. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Here's what he's saying. Part of the fuel for you to love the alien is remembering that you were an alien. In other words, you can remember the discomfort, Israel, of being in captive and being foreigners in Egypt and it not being your home, but it needs to be your home for now because you're in a foreign land. And because I brought you through that as a nation, I'm calling you to love people that's experiencing the same thing. In other words, God loves the alien, the stranger, the foreigner, and he provides for them. That's justice. When we cry for justice and we want justice, remember justice is this tripod and a part of how we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly before our God is this idea of us caring for people and protecting the vulnerable. Deuteronomy 24 verse 17 through 18 says this, do not deprive the alien or the foreigner or the fatherless of justice and take the cloak of the widow as a pledge Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is why I commanded you to do this. In other words, God protects. Watch what he says. Man, don't you dare take advantage of the foreigner. Look in this text how he flex his protection over the foreigner and admonishes his people to do the same. Deuteronomy 31, verse 10 through 13 says this, that Moses commanded them at the end of seven years in the year uh, for canceling debt during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel to appear before the Lord, your God at the place where he will choose, you shall read this law before them in the meeting. Watch this. 
Assemble the people, men and women and children and the aliens living in your town so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words that are written in his law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. What is God saying? I want you to include the alien, the foreigner, the stranger, the outsider, I want the, the immigrant, I want you to include them as you do worship. Because here's the big idea. As you include the foreigner and love them as I have loved you, and leverage your resources for them as I have leveraged my resources for you, it just might be that as you are doing and living a life of worship to the Lord Jesus, they see that. And God uses your witness and your proclamation of God's word to draw them into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. We gotta remember, we were aliens too. So God commands people to do justice and to love mercy. Point three, pray, give, go, and welcome. I remember taking a mission trip to Haiti. It was a site visit. Uh, uh, and what a site visit is, is you go out in front of the team that's going so you can uh, make arrangements and prepare and do what needs to be done for that team that's coming to be accommodated well as you do the mission that you're assigned to do there, whatever that is. And so I'm doing this site visit and, 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 and my mentor, Pastor Darrell, says to me, okay, Rod, it's time to do a video. I need you to do this video because I need you to show this to the people when you go back to your church, when you go back to your community, uh, so that they can see what it is you're trying to do. I'm like, cool, okay. And he says, I need you to say three things. You say whatever you want, but I need you to say these three things in the video. Okay, what's that? I need you to say pray, tell them to pray. Two, tell them to give financially the support. And then three, tell them to go. Pray, give, go. You got it? Got it. Pray, give, go. That's easy. And so I would do video after video after video. And it would always include those three things. It's, 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 it's call to action. We want you to pray. Everybody can do that. I want you to give and I want you to go. And man, I remember just over and over and over again being, being asked to do that and calling people to action. I came across some resources today that, or, or, or this week that pointed out another way that we can serve what if we pray? What if we give? What if we go on the mission field? But here's this fourth one for us that are here. What if we welcomed the foreigner, the alien, the stranger, the immigrant, the outsider? What if we, what if we welcomed them? What if we, we loved and showed hospitality to those that are foreigners? And looking at our text, this is what Boaz does. Now, now, now many of us, we, we look at the story of Ruth and we simply conclude this is a love story. When we get the warm fuzzies and we talk about how she found a man of God, how you find the woman of God. And, and, and I've been a part of preaching that over and over again in college and just, just butchering this text and making it all about love. And there are some love implications in the book of Ruth. But, but really, when you look at it, Ruth is talking about this foreigner that's welcomed by Boaz that he has made provision for foreigners to be cared for, to be protected, and to be provided for through this practice called gleaning. 
Now, during this practice, people could be abused and kicked out, very similar to what I talked about at the beginning. Uh, this was where, wherever there is mission to the least of these, unfortunately, because of sin, there's all, often abuse that follows. And you can see Ruth there and she's she's trying to get what she needs to get. And she's probably complete com competing with other gleaners there. And she's trying to get all she can so that she can go provide for her mother in law and herself. Yet Boaz sees this stranger. And, and, and Ruth goes up to Boaz and asks him, listen, can I harvest with your harvesters? And what Ruth is saying there is, I want to get in a position where I can get what I need and get enough of it so I can go home and take that to my daughter, to, to my mother-in-law. And, and Boaz allows her to do that. This is an uncommon thing that Ruth does and Boaz allows. He is going to, to not just let her glean and pick up grain from the outsides of the field, which was what was required in the law, that you would not glean your field all the way to the edges, but that you would leave the edges so that the foreigner or the, or, or the widow can come and glean and be provided for. Boaz says, I'm not just going to let you go to the edges. I'm going to let you harvest with the people that work for me so you can be provided for and provided for well. In other words, Boaz goes out of his way to protect her. He tells his men, don't you dare lay a hand on her and don't you hinder her. Watch this. Justice is leveraging what you have for the sake of others. He provides for her. You see, Ruth is experiencing the justice of Boaz. But Ruth is doing justice herself. You see, a part of her zeal for, for gleaning this way is not just to feed her own stomach, but she's gleaning this way for her mother-in-law. And she's advocating and providing for her mother-in-law, knowing that her mother-in-law is old and she cannot glean in the fields herself. So it's not just a romantic story. It's a justice story. So my question to you is, man, what would it look like for us to welcome refugees and, and immigrants and the stranger and the outsider and, and the foreign or international students and inviting them into your community groups or into your gatherings or to play basketball or to go out shopping or to, to, to come to your life groups or your deep groups? What would that look like if there was intentionality behind going out and seeking those that were far off in the margins of society? Maybe it's hard to understand their English, but what would it look like if we didn't see them not as just people to serve or to do that or to do this, but people that are supposed to be welcome into the household of God? What if we opened our homes for, for dinners and meals with foreigners and immigrants? This is what Jesus has commanded. The great commandment in Luke chapter 10, verse 24, is we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our, 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 our mind, and our strength, but also we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor are foreigners and outsiders and widows and marginalized and the poor and the needy and not just the people that can do good to us or people that can return favors to us or 
people that we can be nice to so they can be nice to us or not just leveraging opportunities to in increase our, 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 our status in society or to getting good with this person so I can use their name on a resume. Man, forget all of that. That's what the world does. We believers, we live by a different code. We, we, we live by a different standard because God leveraged his resources in redeeming us on the cross. We leverage ours for the sake of others. We were spiritual outsiders. We were spiritual foreigners. Ephesians 2, verse 12 through 13 says this. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear that? Jesus brings you, you outsider, Rodney, you outsider from the outside in. By his own blood, he redeems you and brings in the foreigner, the stranger, the alien, the immigrant, the outsider, because of his blood. And if you're, Jesus himself understands this because he himself was a foreigner. Remember his parents sojourned with him as a baby to Egypt. He knows what that's like. Baby Jesus was a foreigner, yet he, he comes in to redeem us from sin and bring us into this family of God so we can sit at his table and be a part of his family. I'm gonna read this last quote and then I'm done. This is by Russell Moore. He says this. It's an, import, it's, it's an opportunity to see that as important as um, the United States of America is, there will be a day when the United States of America will, will no longer exist. And on that day, the sons and the daughters of God will stand before the throne of a former undocumented immigrant. Some of them are migrant workers and hotel maids now. But on that day, they will be kings and queens then. They are our brothers and sisters forever. Beloved, I want to encourage you. To, 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 to focus how you see the injustices against the outsider through the lenses of scriptures and not anything else. Some final, some final admonitions as we as at least close out the teaching time for this series. I pray, I believe this series has been a blessing to our church. There are some things that are in the works right now that I'm crazy excited about and I'm not going to say anything about it. Because Pastor Seth and, and a group of others are going to be leading out that discussion next week. And you don't want to miss that. Um, I'm thankful that even with everything that happened and, and kind of George Floyd and Breonna Teller still waiting for justice and Ahmaud Arbery were kind of the impetus of this of this series. And I'm glad and my prayer is that as we've walked through this, you've gotten a better understanding of this idea of justice. And now when you think of the word justice prayerfully, you have a more biblical understanding of it. And so I pray not only that you would have this under this theological understanding of justice, but that this understanding would mobilize you to action. I pray that we are not a church that 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 just posts nothing wrong with posting. But that our posting is is the inauguration 
of action that is taken, not just by Pastor Rod and his ideas or, or our wonderful elders and staff and leaders at this church, but by you. That you would bombard heaven by asking God this question, how are you calling me to step into justice? Where are you calling me to serve? Where are you calling me to leverage my life to take action for? I pray you're experiencing that. And so I want to ask that question. Where is he calling you to fight and work for justice? How are you championing the cause for racial unity? Maybe that happens in your home. Maybe that happens in your job. I, I, I don't know, but the Spirit of God wants to unfold that and unwrap that to you if you'll seek him and ask him. How are we going to fight and protect widows and orphans in our communities? How will we provide for the needs of the least of these in our community? I'm excited about next week. I'm not going to say a word. How do we make room in our lives for the outsiders to be an ally with us in this gospel work here at GF? Man, this thing is not, doesn't have to be super complicated. I pray that God would stir up affections for justice on the inside of you. Man, let us close out. Let me close out. Love y'all. Miss y'all. And uh, let's get to this hangout.